If you care about your privacy, chances are that you have heard of VPNs or you're using one right now. VPNs are a powerful way to protect one's privacy on the internet. But is there an alternative that is decentralized? Orkut is a new decentralized bandwidth marketplace that is an open source VPN and guarantees no data collection, no third party data sharing, and no profit markups. Download our VPN from Orkut.com or visit the Apple or Google App Store and get started today for as little as $1. Welcome to the Private Podcast, hosted by Derek E. Silva and brought to you by Orchid, the crypto-powered VPN that keeps your data private and allows you to explore the internet freely. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm really excited to be chatting with Isaiah Jackson, also known as Bitcoin Zay, who's a cryptocurrency trader, co-host of the Gentleman of Crypto Daily News Show. His popular book, Bitcoin and Black America, has helped thousands of newcomers learn about cryptocurrency, and he continues to teach at conferences. He has a show on Coindesk that you should all check out called Community Crypto, doing a lot of stuff to educate people and bring them into the crypto space. So welcome, Isaiah. Lovely to chat with you. Oh, yeah. Glad to be here. Glad to chat with you as well. So we're going to dive into Taproot. It is Taproot Day. Yesterday, Taproot activated on the Bitcoin network is the biggest upgrade to the network since Segwit in 2017. And that led to the creation of Bitcoin Cash. And now we have a new upgrade and it's really a very privacy focused upgrade. So I want to dive into, well, first of all, just a broad overview of Taproot itself, but then kind of dive into the ideas of privacy and why it's important to have privacy in money, why it's important, you know, in terms of censorship and persecution and targeting from governments, just it's so important to have that aspect. So I'll, I'll hand over to you just to give the audience an idea if they don't know what Taproot is, just a very broad broad strokes overview of that. Taproot, congratulations to everyone who helped bring this to light. Taproot, like you said before, is a privacy upgrade. The ability to batch signatures into one transaction gives you more privacy and allows you to take away that origin address where it came from. And when we talk about the fight for privacy, Taproot's upgrade, I love Bitcoin because every upgrade that we have takes us uh, further into the future, much like SegWit and then now Taproot. I love the fact that this is actually solving a problem that we've had before. Data surveillance, intrusive privacy laws, all of that was a part of the reason why the cypherpunk movement started. That is why Bitcoin was created. And then now we're at a point now where we're solving the privacy issue with Taproot and, of course, with the Bitcoin improvement process or proposal, I should say, 341 coming through with Schnorr signatures, which is, you know, just a different type of signature for that transaction. This is great for the space and shows that the development of Bitcoin is still continuing and is still robust to this day. Absolutely. Now let's dive into that idea of fungible money because a lot of people, when they, they get first get sent Bitcoin, they might be at a meetup. Maybe someone's like, hey, I sent some Bitcoin to your phone or whatever. And you get a wallet and you're kind of like, what is this world? And it doesn't occur to people that there might be this completely public ledger showing the history of transactions, that their balance is public. As soon as they send it, people can kind of you know trace back. I th- don't think people really fully grasp the idea and the importance of fungibility in money. But now, you know, we have this crypto community kind of rallying around this idea saying like, that we need it. It's essential. So talk to me. I mean, your book, Bitcoin and Black America, really dives into government targeting, censorship, all of that stuff. So talk to me about that in the context of why we need 
private money and why, you know, controlling the money supply is such a powerful tool for censorship. Oh, yeah. So at a very base level, the reason we need private money is it's none of your business. It's nobody's business what a private citizen should be doing. Public governments should have public blockchains where we can see what they're doing. And private citizens should have private money where we can do what we want. And that in a perfect world is what would happen. But of course, we don't have that. And fungibility is a big topic because we always say one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. But is each Bitcoin actually equal based on the fact that governments can come in and blacklist addresses or blacklist exchanges or wallets, so to say, or try to regulate them with the virtual asset service provider bill that was tried to push through? Or basically everybody, including my grandmother, would be included in that virtual asset service provider group. So we have to actually stay diligent with the privacy fight. And I think, of course, Taproot is great there. But the fungibility part of it actually makes Bitcoin stronger because now, we can say for sure that one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, no matter where it's sent from, who it's sent to. And that should not matter. We've gotten so deep into this wormhole of data surveillance, KYC and AML, anti-money laundering laws. People don't even know a world where real privacy and freedom exists, which is amazing. And we need to actually keep that ethos going so that people understand what the real fight is. Uh, it's not just number go up technology. It's also freedom technology as well. Yeah, that's so well said. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think a lot of people realize how open like banking was previously. <laughs> this whole KYC world is a re- reasonably new phenomenon. You yeah. used to be able to open up a bank account like 20 years ago and you didn't really need an ID. Like it was very easy. And these days they want to track transactions over $600. Like what world are they living in with inflation? That, what the, that's like the purchasing power of like, you know, a, a, a bottle of milk or something soon. So, you know, it, it's a dangerous world with so much surveillance creeping in that has become normalized to people. And then we don't see this pushback. But in the cryptocurrency world, we are seeing the pushback. We see people who get it. Now, in your book, you say, just talking about, you know, persecuted people. And I want to dive into that idea because you talked more broadly about freedom for everyone. It's none of your damn business, which I agree <laughs> with. But it's also particularly important to realize that there are groups in society that are targeted and persecuted and whether they're, you know, freedom fighters, whether they're dissidents, whether they're minorities, whether they're just disfavored. But you said if any group of people should recognize how media can misrepresent you because they feel threatened, it should be the black community. Bitcoin and the black community are a match made in heaven. And it's just such an interesting point, the fact that Bitcoin is bringing in all of these like edge case, like in terms of like activist situation, it's bringing in like minority groups who have felt disempowered previously. It's kind of this incredibly empowering revolution for a lot of people who haven't been heard previously. Talk to me about that and the role of privacy in that. Yeah, so Bitcoin is for everyone. And what I wanted to introduce to the Black community is a technology and a money system that allows us to enter into it without a barrier of entry that is based on race. That is gone now. That doesn't matter when it comes to Bitcoin, and that is the most important feature. And when it comes to privacy, one of the things we need to understand about surveillance and the government state and anything regulators try to do is that when they can't actually pinpoint where the problem is coming from or try to stop certain people, they cast a wide net. So basically everybody is guilty until proven innocent. And in the black community, we've seen that with some of the standards of policing, some of the standards of jail times being increased for certain crimes. They just cast a wide net and then they just get who they can. So you actually end up getting a lot of people who are not guilty. That seems to be what happens with privacy. They're basically saying everybody's guilty until proven innocent. Give us your information and we'll determine from that point. 
So even though, you know, that message was directed towards the black community, that is something for everyone to understand that on a broad scale, your governments and your leaders are literally telling you, we don't trust the fact that you can buy $600 worth of goods, basically a couch or a TV, without us having some sort of monitoring over it, which is as, as egregious as it gets, simply because, like I said before, it's none of your damn business to start. And then now it's at a point now where everything is your business. And that is a, an, an issue that a lot of the privacy that we're seeing uh, in Bitcoin coming, as well as privacy coins, even the movement for cypherpunks, the reason why it started, that was for people to move away from that surveillance. And it'll take time. It is very technologically focused. But as it becomes easier for people to do it, we can start to see people say, hey, I, I actually want to be a free American citizen. I don't want to be beholden to these rules. And I think that pushback is coming faster than they think, which is why they are casting this wide net. The wide net is terrifying. It's uh, it's kind of this infantilization of the population by saying like you can't be trusted to make your own monetary decisions, and also it's such an egregious overreach. I know that you've talked about like Coin Center and their pushback against the infrastructure bill in the past. They're now mounting this push where they're saying, listen, actually making people report cash transactions is unconstitutional because they were able to kind of you know squeeze in these rules previously under the third party doctrine, saying banks can be reporting because they're like a third party, you don't technically own your data, you gave up the rights to your data, yada, yada, whichever loophole they jumped through to justify that. But then the cash one came along and it's like, where's the third party between a peer-to-peer transaction? There's only two of them. That that It's a third party for a reason, like number three. And so like the crypto provision, now they're saying like, yeah, you have to report all these crypto transactions, which are peer-to-peer. It seems completely unconstitutional. Like how do we push back against this tremendous overreach that seems to be just going in one? direction here. Oh, yeah. So we have to first try to elect people into office who know what they're talking about. We have a lot of people in office who are <laughs> getting rid. <laughs> I mean, it's a couple. Uh, Senator <laughs> Cynthia Loomis, Rand Paul, Mayor Suarez here in Miami, mm-hmm. uh, where I am. So there are a few that understand what's going on. The other ones are reading bullet points based on talking points. That's all they're doing. They're not actually solving a problem. They're not enabling innovation. They're trying to stifle it based on some old archaic laws. I mean, the Howey test is from 1933. That's almost 100 years old. Why is that still the the standard for determining what is and what is not a security when we're in an entirely new world now? So just seeing the archaic rules, seeing politicians that need the information, they can be educated. But I think the biggest problem here is do they want to be educated? And that sort of is the risk. There are some that will literally say, I need, I want to learn everything I can. And then there are others who are saying, hey, as part of my agenda, I have to push back against this because I think, and this is maybe a bold prediction, I think what we're seeing here is a lead up to something similar to Executive Order 6102 back in the 1930s, where they basically said our economy crashed because everybody is keeping all their money in gold. So give the banks your gold. We'll give you this paper certificate and uh, you can go home and be happy. I think they're trying to do something similar with Bitcoin, where if our economy is not as stable as they say it is, especially with the new inflation rates they just put out, 6.2%, according to the CPI, they may have a, a situation where they say to themselves, well, our economy is failing, but it's because all these Bitcoiners are hoarding all their money in Bitcoin. We need to try and collect it off of exchanges. And that's why I also say no keys, no cheese. Get your stuff off of exchanges right now if you can, because if it's on an exchange and they do a sweep and they take everybody's Bitcoin that's on exchange, there's nothing you can do. So I want to remind people that this is not new. There is precedent set for the rules that they're trying to uh, push out. And I think people who are in charge of the SEC, CFTC, 
any of these regulatory bodies would do well to actually improve innovation and help the United States actually become the biggest Bitcoin hub in the world rather than push it away, much like China did recently with Bitcoin mining. No keys, no cheese is now my new favorite slogan. Not going to say no, not your keys, not your coins. That is out. Yeah. <laughs> no keys, no cheese. I love it. So let's talk about the path forward because I've chatted to people like Nathan Wilcox, uh, Zcash developer, and he says that, you know, in the future, we're not going to have the term privacy coin. We're going to have privacy built into every coin. It's going to become so normalized and it's going to be demanded by consumers. I hear that and I get real excited because like privacy is my shtick. But <laughs> then I also look at the reality. And the fact that people are still on Facebook giving away all of their data and they're using Mm -hmm. Gmail and they're, you know. And so I just feel like we have this giant chasm to cross to get people interested in privacy. And my experience has shown that it's only people who are personally affected by their, you know, their privacy being invaded. The people who have their bank accounts frozen, the people who have their data hacked and leaked, like it's only the people personally affected that seem to become fired up and really want privacy privacy. How do we change that? How do we get more people interested in this? What's the path forward? Oh, yeah. So I think sometimes you have to give people solutions they don't know they need. So there are some people who honestly think the world is perfect. Everything's good. Uh, I don't need privacy. What am I hiding from? I have nothing to hide. And I think that is a misnomer because even if you have nothing to hide, if you think you're doing everything straight, one of the things you don't want is that intrusion of privacy because down the road, there may be something you may or may not want people who watch you to know. You don't want to set that precedent, open Pandora's box. Hey, yeah, just take all my information. That's a terrible way to start. So I think what we have to do is continue building these privacy tools, continue implementing privacy into the layer ones that we are developing so that we actually give people a solution they don't know that they need. So imagine being able to tell someone, yes, you can have private uh, transactions, don't need to go into all the technical stuff. And they understand that, hey, well, this is how every currency works. So this is what I need to use because privacy is important. Some people may not get it at first, but we'll have to drag them along just like we had to do before with Bitcoin. They didn't believe it before, but you know the evidence speaks for itself. So a lot of times we do have people who are in the space, like you said, they'll give it away to Facebook for free. They don't understand data. They don't understand anything about the surveillance state, but we can lead by example. And that's one thing I'm big on is just lead by example, show people the way And they'll follow when they are ready to. And uh, I hate to use the meme uh, where people say not going to make it, but some people are not going to make it. And (laughs) they're just not. Uh, In all of human history, there's never really been any great idea where 100% of the people supported it and just started instantly. Some people are going to be left behind, but focus on the people who do want to learn. And then we'll have a strong enough group where we can bring in and usher in a new type of privacy into money. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it so well, this idea that, you know, administrations come and go, but that data is forever. So what you may be doing today could be considered normal and totally fine and accepted Mm -hmm. by society, but a new administration comes in and things can change pretty rapidly. So that data is a treasure trove for them to dig into and find whatever they want to target you. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole, I don't have anything to hide. Yeah. Well, what about now? You spend something that's $602. Now that's something to hide. Tax evader, reporting evader. Just overnight. So you don't want to set that precedent. Trust me. 
Well, there's something to be said about your other point where you said, let's tell them, like, I mean, privacy is that thing that they don't realize they need. It kind of reminds me of Steve Jobs and the smartphone. Like, no one knew they needed a smartphone. And then he came along and he's like, oh, no, you do. I've invented this thing. You all need it. You just don't realize you need it. And it's this idea that in order to bring something mainstream, to popularize it to large amounts of users, it's not necessarily that you convince the individuals how important it is that they go seeking it. But you convince the technology companies that it's important and they just start implementing it. That's how we got SSL across the entire internet. That's how we get encrypted uh, iPhones because these companies said, well, by default, we're going to make this stuff private. We all benefit from it. I feel like that's what Bitcoin is doing right now. People may not realize that fungibility is important. People may not realize that privacy and money is important. But Bitcoin devs came along and says it is and we're just going to integrate it and you will thank us later. So like, how does this change things for people in terms of using cryptocurrency oh yeah so of course like you said we implement it they figure it out later that's great but what they you know a lot of people who are entering the space don't realize is this is not just some speculative asset or speculative industry where you can just bet that the number is going to go up and then change it back to fiat no this is a very political movement simply because it's been going on way before bitcoin was even invented in 2008 the white paper came out 2009 it was mind. Before that, we've had years of people trying to push for privacy in these areas. So what people need to understand that this is a decade long fight that we're now right at the cusp of, I guess, the big war, so to say, because we're seeing governments push back against it. So what people need to understand and how it will help them is that when we go into the future and we move to a space where we don't have the same type of economic system, Bitcoin may be the lifeboat that keeps you from the sinking Titanic. And people who are too late, You're going to be sitting on the Titanic still listening to the band play. I'm sorry to say it, but a lot of times what it will do is it gives people hope. And I think that's even more important than than most other stuff, because that's just what some people need is just hope. And I can say personally, if Bitcoin wasn't created, I wouldn't have much hope for our economy at this point. (laughs) You can see the CBDCs being rolled out. You can see a lot of the uh, implementations of your ID being linked to that money. Um, You don't want to see that proliferate uh, even further. And then one day you look up and you say, everything I have is attached to this ID and they can cut it off just like that. So the decentralization of Bitcoin, uh, the ability to spend money peer to peer without the need for a bank, all of that is useful for people. And they need to understand why that is important so that they can actually be successful in the future. And in my opinion, this is much like the Internet right before the 2000s, mid 90s. Uh, If you could see the Internet then and now you can't live without it, imagine Bitcoin now. You probably won't be able to live without it in the next 20 years. Absolutely. And remember, no keys, no cheese. You heard (laughs) it here first from Isaiah. Thank you so much, Isaiah. That's all the time we have for this segment, but it's been wonderful chatting with you and catch up with you soon. You just heard the private podcast with your host, Derek E. Silva. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.